Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope it blesses you. Good morning, everyone. Well, first things first, someone get Beth Dobbs on the preaching rotor. She's amazing. Um, my, uh, my husband said to my daughter this morning, um, oh, I don't think you've ever sat down and listened to mummy for 20 minutes straight. <laughs> and, and her response was, yeah, I have, when she's on the phone. <laughs> so I hope, I, hope, uh, <laughs> I hope this sermon this morning is going to be as insightful as listening into some of my phone calls. Um, I'm going to play a very short game with you first thing this morning. So um, I would like you, well, I should probably introduce myself first. So my name is Jess, as Tom said. I've been part of this church family for just over 13 years. Um, and I love it. And uh, so we're going to play this little game. So I want you to put your hands up, keep them up, if you've ever preached a sermon. Excellent, excellent. Keep them up. If you've ever led a life group or a Bible study. All right, a few more. If you've ever given a presentation at school, college, or work that required public speaking. Somebody take a photo for the leading rotor. <laughs> okay, you can put your hands down. So everyone that just had their hands up, you and me are on the same team because you will understand a little bit about what it's like to have nerves when you stand up in front of people to speak publicly. This is the first time I've ever done a grown-up preach. <laughs> So I've done all age services, but in my book, they don't quite count because I normally have a mask on or I'm wearing something silly or I'm doing something stupid. But this is like the first time I've ever done a grown-up Sunday morning preach. So where's my Wednesday crew? Hands up if you're at Oasis on Wednesday. So it's a game of spot the difference for you this morning because obviously it's largely the same as what I said then. But um, hopefully God will speak to you in a new way this morning through what I've got to say. So, this morning we are continuing our series looking at parables that Jesus told. And uh, the one we're looking at today is the parable of the wheat found in Matthew chapter 13. Um, it's a really rich and challenging parable, not what I would call easy for a first preach, but um, we're going to explore just three things that I think God wants to teach us through it. So I've asked Gillian, because she's got an awesome London accent, to come and read us the passage. So this is from Matthew 13, beginning at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. 
Because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Jesus then left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Thank you, lovely Gillian. Okay. Jesus is a master storyteller. He knew his audiences well. And he used to explain stories that were confusing, confusing things to everyday people who were hungry for his teaching. And this story would have resonated with his audience at the time because a lot of them would have worked in agriculture and the picture of the farmer and the field and the seed would have been a familiar one to them. Now, those people listening would have known that it wasn't unusual for a farmer's enemy to try and sabotage their field. Um, There was a a particular weed called bearded darnel that that uh, an enemy would sow into their, uh, their rival's field and that it would grow up and it would look entirely like wheat right until the last minute when it failed to bear any fruit. Um, and it was a poisonous weed. So, in fact, if anybody ate it, it would actually, it could actually um, make them very unwell. So, we hear in the reading that Jesus is talking to a large crowd, and he's only talking to them in parables. And it's only later, when he's back at the house with the disciples, that he begins to explain its meaning. And thankfully, we've got an insight into that because we get to read the book. So, we've got three lessons for today, and uh, there's loads more. I'm not trying to cover it all. Like, I know that, I know I'm missing stuff, (laughs) but we're going to just narrow in on three in the interest of not being here all day. Um, So, lesson one, the parable teaches us that the details are out of our hands. Now, I am by no means an expert theologian, so the safest route for me is to stick to the facts of Jesus' explanation. So in this story, Jesus defines two groups, the people of God, or the wheat, 
and the people of the evil one, who are the weeds. Note that there is no neutral ground or other categories given. There's no part weed, part wheat. It's wheat and weeds. And really crucially, Jesus said that only God gets to decide who are the weeds and who are the wheat. He says he's going to instruct the harvesters, who he names as the angels, about who are the wheat and the weeds. And in the story, when the farmer's servants offer to go and sort it out for him, shall we, shall we go and dig up the weeds? He says, no, you're going to get that wrong. So I wonder if there's something really important here about our tendency to want to sort out the weeds from the wheat. The Bible doesn't pull any punches when it talks about judging others. Matthew chapter 7 verse 2 says, For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now I don't know if you'll be able to relate to this, but sometimes I judge people on their appearances. Sometimes I judge people on their preferences and their ways of doing things. Sometimes I judge people on the way they speak or little bits of information that I have about them. But my Bible is telling me that judgment is a really risky game to play. Now, we know when we're doing it normally because we might say something like, I'm not judging, but immediately before we say something. But the parable says it is not our job to tell God who is wheat and who is weeds. Because after all, God's the one that knows our hearts, hears our thoughts and our words. So he's got all the info that we don't have to figure out who's sitting in which camp. But the greatest news in all of this, though, is that before that final harvest, which is promised, the weeds can make a materially impossible change and turn into wheat. And because of this possibility, God is waiting. He's waiting patiently for just the right time for harvest. He wants everyone to come and know him and experience his love and grace. The enemy, however will try to sow lies and say that God isn't good because of the evil that we can see around us. And I've certainly heard those lies. Have you? When things are tough in life, when things don't go our way, when other people hurt us, or God seemingly doesn't answer our prayers, the enemy will take every opportunity to tell you that God isn't good. But the truth is the opposite. God is so good that he's waiting. Maybe he's waiting for your future generations to know him. Maybe he's waiting for the people in your life that you love. Or maybe he's waiting for you. What we do know is that the promise, he promises that the day of harvest will come. And although we don't know when it is, um, we do know that evil will be defeated for all time in that moment. The details, <coughs> excuse me, the details of when and who, however, are out of our hands. 
So moving on to lesson two, I've titled this, The Parable Teaches Us to Watch Out for Weeds. So the trick of the weeds in this story, if you remember, is that they look a lot like wheat right up until the last minute. And perhaps this is a warning to us as the people of God to be discerning in our faith, especially when we listen to teaching and let things impact us. 1 John 4 verse 1 tells us to test the spirits to see whether they are from God because there are false prophets or weeds in the world. Now this can feel a bit daunting, especially if you're just starting out in your Christian walk. But um, having wisdom and understanding is not the privilege of scholars and theologians. It's not the privilege of church leaders or even people that have a platform to preach. We are all working from the same book. The access that I have had to do this talk, you all have in your hands, in your homes, in the Bible. We're all talking to the same God. The time I've spent in prayer thinking about this sermon is no different to the time you spend in prayer with God, talking to him about the things that are important to you. We all have the same access. And James chapter 1 verse 5 says that God will give wisdom to anyone that asks. So if you're trying to figure out the wheat from the weeds in life, then ask God to help you. And as an aside, if you've come this morning and you don't own a Bible, speak to someone on the hosting team or someone on the door because we can give you one. Don't go home without a Bible if you want to have that same access. The weeds of this world will metaphorically choke and kill us given half the chance. The challenge for us in this moment, in this culture, in this political, financial and economic climate is to stand firm in the face of those things that seek to bring us down. But remember, we don't do this alone. God says he will go with us. He is for us. He will equip us with all that we need for any battles that we're fighting in our lives. <laughs> But we do, however, need to be resilient in the face of those things and stand tall amongst the weeds. So to move on to our third and final lesson from today's parable, um, it's a slightly longer one, um, but it's something that I felt this week after after Wednesday was something that God just pressed in a little bit more about something specific he wanted me to say. So the third teaching is, the parable teaches us what it means to be wheat. So what does it mean to be the people of God as identified in this parable? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus lays out some really clear instructions for his followers. In fact, he simplifies it so much that he only gives us two things to do. We need to love God and love each other. And Jesus clarifies this further in John chapter 13 when he says, the world will know, this is the whole world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. So 
Being for Jesus is being for each other. You can't separate those two things. I love God, but I don't love people. It doesn't work. When we don't act in love, it threatens the very fruit that we produce. And that is the most visible part. It's the very essence of what makes us wheat. So when we know Jesus, we invite the Holy Spirit to live within us, which is what Beth was talking about earlier on. And what do we know are the fruit of the Spirit? What does it produce in us? Galatians chapter 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and my particular favorite, self-control. <laughs> when we face challenges with people, and that includes fellow wheat, the question in our minds should be, what does it mean for me to show love in this situation? How can I better show love to this person? What would our churches, our families, and our friendships be like if what we concerned ourselves most with was how we could better show the fruit of the Spirit to one another? We should be asking ourselves, when that harvest comes, how much fruit will I have produced in my life? But it is so important that we, work, we walk with humility. And remember that we were all weeds before we had Jesus in our lives. We can't be self-righteous about our status as wheat or the people of God because we certainly did nothing to earn it. We simply received God's grace. A great use of our time would be in thanking God for the fruit that we see in our own lives and for the fruit that we see in the lives of those around us. Recently, following a season of real negativity in my life, I have been really consciously trying to look for the good in other people. And you know what I found? That when I do, I'm the one that's blessed. It's amazing how God works like that, and he's awesome for that. Now, I mentioned it earlier, it is no secret to the people who know me well that I love this church. So I want to take a moment here to tell you, in case you already weren't aware, of how amazing it is. Now, I wasn't here last Sunday morning, but I understand that the wardens and the PCC and the staff and the ministry leads came up and introduced themselves, so everyone should be pretty clear on who is who. Um, well, this week, I had the privilege on Tuesday to sit in on the extended staff team meeting. And that's the people who get paid to work here, plus the people who lead ministries. Um, and I'm a bit of an interloper, really, because I don't actually work hard enough to be classified as extended staff. But nonetheless, I, I snuck a ticket in and I managed to get, get my seat there. And um, as I sat there and listened to each of the ministry leads talking about their work, I was absolutely blown away. And 
I don't think it was any coincidence that I happened to be standing up here today and that happened to be at that meeting because I think that God wanted me or wants me to share something of what I experienced in listening to that. I had no idea how far-reaching Sonia and the youth team's work is in our local high schools. I had no idea. I had no idea how rich and varied Claire and the community team's work is and the sheer volume of people that they are reaching every week. I didn't know that Val and the pastoral team are supporting people in every sphere of life, in every part of life. I found out that Julia and the others who are working behind the scenes are making progress on improving our buildings. I discovered how hard Kirsty and the worship and the AV teams are working to bring us into worship at every service. I learned just a fraction about all that Nisha and the OPT teams do to run our services smoothly and keep them going each week. Um, I already knew how awesome the kids team and Julie and the life group leaders were, obviously, because I'm part of those teams already. But, and I know I haven't captured everything. Well, there's welcome and hosting and newcomers and, and the preaching team. And, and there's, you know, there's tons more. But in that meeting on Tuesday, when I sat there and I heard it, I was like, wow, we have an awesome church. Do you know that there are churches out there that do not have even a fraction of the people who are dedicated and capable and selfless as we do here in this place? You know, I've been in church for... Sunday evening, Wednesday, Thursday, and now today. And each one of our services is different. It's serving different needs. It has different teams leading it, different structures. It's amazing. It's actually truly incredible because I've seen God working in each one. Like in, in his different way that he's working with people and what they need in each of those settings. It's truly remarkable what goes on in this room across a week. So we have a unique opportunity in this moment to lean in to all of these things and to lean in to the teams that we're already serving on. You know, take a look at your team. How can you encourage them? How can you bless them? How can you bring fruit into that environment? If you're part of a life group, how can you lean in with your commitment? How can you lean in with your um, taking part and offering to support and be involved? And, you know, if you're not actually involved in anything, if you're on the edge, lean in because there are so many opportunities here for you to get involved. Every single one of our teams needs more people. You know, there are hundreds of opportunities to get involved and to get your fruit of the Spirit out. God wants to build this church in the interregnum. He is not putting us to sleep. He wants to stir us up. You know what, even if you just move some chairs or carry the tray of mugs to the dishwasher, you'll be making a difference. You know, we thought about this in our life group. So my 
I'm part of a life group that meets in this room on a Tuesday. And we decided as a group that we would, at the end of our session, set up the chairs for the Wednesday morning service. Now, if you are part of hosting on a Wednesday morning, it's our fault they're wonky. But the intention is there. You know, this isn't about gender. The staff team are women. The life group's women. We're just doing it to serve the staff's team so they don't have to break their day to come and put chairs out. You know, I know that the Oasis crew, they support each other amazingly in all sorts of ways, from giving each other lifts to, to remembering birthdays and just to be together and spend time together so people aren't lonely and on their own. You know, there is so much that's good that's going on already, so let's lean into that and build this church together. So, as you know, when we are active in demonstrating God's fruit in our lives by showing love and building his church. As it says back in that verse, which I now can't remember the reference for, but God says, people will notice, the world will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. The people around us will turn their heads and they will see the power of God at work in us. And there is nothing more attractive than that. After all, who isn't attracted by love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control? So my time has gone. So let's finish by holding tight to the promise of the harvest, resisting the attack of the enemy and standing tall. And let's bear the fruit that God has designed for each of us to produce in this place, in our work lives, in our home lives. Because by our representation in the field, we can point others to him. Let's pray. For more information about St. Saviour Sunbury, please visit our website www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.